Hello, and thank you for listening to this message from Pastor Gary Ellard here at Grace Bible Fellowship in Front Royal, Virginia. In this Christmas message, Pastor Gary Ellert reminds us that in the birth of Jesus, God gave us the gift of deliverance that we were unable to secure for ourselves. Let's listen. My subject this morning is our greatest joy and our greatest gift. In a couple of days, we will be celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. On this Christmas day, I want to encourage you to seek in the birth of Jesus Christ, the one who came to us in order to bear with us everything that weighs heavily upon us. The Bible says in Luke 2.11, For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The word uh, which translates as Savior means originally it's rescuer or deliverer. God is bringing us help when we ourselves are no longer able to help ourselves. And that's what the Christmas story is all about. In Christ, God himself brings us deliverance, which we are unable to secure for ourselves. (coughs) Jeremiah, the prophet, he saw and visioned the new covenant. It's recorded in Jeremiah 31, 34. And they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities and their sin I will remember no more. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Of course, we quote it many, many times, Hebrews 10, 17. And their sins and their lawless deeds I'll remember no more. Wow, what a gift that we've been given. That Christ will not only forgive us, but all of our sins have been forgotten. Now, our greatest joy and our greatest gift is Jesus Christ. It was the shepherds that were given the first information about the Savior who lies as a babe in a manger. Now, these shepherds, they were very simple, simple folks, plain people, and very poor people. And it's interesting that Jesus said this, Luke 4, 18. The Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release of the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. The Bible says that he came to the poor. The shepherds, they had no unlimited wishes or grandiose ideas of 
of what life was going to be like in this life. They did not dream of a paradise here on this earth. But the glad tidings of Christmas proclaims to them that God is near. That God is here to help you. Jesus Christ, your brother and your savior, is here. That was the message that went to the, the shepherds. He's here. Fear not, only believe. I think that's the message that we need to understand today. Fear not and only believe. Believe what we have in Jesus Christ. The NIV says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, first of all, the, the New American Standard says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is vain. The NIV, I like the way it puts it anyway. It says that our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Our preaching is useless and so is your faith. So man then is not saved by the death of Christ, but by the life of Christ. There are two sides to the coin, two sides to the cross. The cross on one side, when Jesus Christ died, he died for the sins of the world. On the other side, his resurrection, he gave to us a new life, a brand new life in Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever heard of Bob George or not, but Bob George had a radio program, People to People, and he's written a couple of books, and he uh, turned out to be a very good friend of mine. Um, when I first heard him, it was up in Maryland, and my wife was at a conference, and she said to me, honey, you better come up. She said, I think this fellow is all wrong. And so I went up there, and he was uh, preaching the exchange life in Christ. And I says, no, hon, he's all right. <laughs> he's all right. But uh, he tells a story of a wealthy man and a son who loved to collect rare works of art. They had a large collection, very famous artists, Rembrandt and and all the rest, they had a large, large um, display. And they would, <clears throat> him and his son would often sit together and look at those masterpieces and just sit there in awe of these artists. Well, when the Vietnam War broke out, his son went to war. He was a very brave and courageous soldier. He died in battle rescuing another soldier. The father was notified and grieved deeply for his only son. About a month later, after he heard the news, just before Christmas, there was a knock at the door. A young man stood there with a large gift package. And uh, he said, sir, uh, you don't know me, but I am the soldier for whom your son gave his life. And then he told the father, he said, he saved many lives that day, and he was carrying me to safety when a bullet struck him in the heart and killed him instantly. He says, but to the father, he said, but in our conversations together, he often 
talked about you and your love for art. And the young man held out the package and he says, I know this isn't much. I'm not really a great artist, uh, but I think your son would have wanted you to have this. And the father opened the package and here it was a portrait of his son painted by this young soldier. He stared in awe at the way the soldier had captivated the true personality of his son. The father was so moved and drawn to the eyes of his son on the painting that his own eyes welled up with tears. He thanked the young man and offered to pay him for the picture. He said, oh, no, sir. I would never repay what your son, I could never repay for what your son did for me. He says, this painting is my gift to you. So the father, he hung the portrait over the mantle, and every time visitors came to his home, he first showed them the portrait of his son, and then he showed them the other great works that he had collected, worth millions. A few months later, the man died, and there was to be a great auction of of all of his paintings. Many influential people from all over were excited about seeing the magnificent works that he had and were eager to bid to have one of them for their own collection. On the platform stood an easel of the painting of the sun. The auctioneer pounded the gavel. He says, we'll start the bidding with this picture titled, The Sun. Who will bid for this one? There was silence. Then a voice in the back of the room shouted, we want to see the famous paintings of the, of the masters. Skip this one. But the auctioneer persisted, is there someone who will bid for this painting? Who will start the bidding at $100 or $200? And from the back, another voice shouted angrily, we didn't come to see an unknown artist's work. We came to see the works of the masters. So let's get on with the real bid. But the auctioneer continued, He said, the sun, the sun, who will take the sun? And finally, a raspy voice came from the very back of the room. It was the aged, long-time gardener of the man in the sun. He said, I'll give you $10 for the painting. And being a poor man, that's all he could afford. We have $10, said the auctioneer. Who will make it 20 and a voice came from the back, give it, to, give it to him for $10. Let's go on with the paintings of the collection. And the crowd was becoming restless and aggravated, and they didn't want the picture of the sun. And the auctioneer pounded the gavel. He says, going once, twice, sold for $10. And a man sitting on the second row shouted, good, now let's get on with the collection. But the auctioneer laid down his gavel. He said, I'm sorry. 
The auction is over, he said. And what about the paintings? Someone shouted from the crowd. I'm sorry. He said, when I was called to conduct this auction, I was told of a secret stimulation in the will. And it was not allowed to be revealed until now. Only the painting of the sun would be auctioned. Whoever bought this painting would inherit the entire estate, including all the other paintings. The man who took the sun gets everything. It's true today. It's true today. The message is the same. Who will take the sun? And whoever takes the sun inherits everything. In 1 John 5, 11 and 12, the Bible says this. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is a very special time of the year. We gather with families and we exchange gifts. Some of us have great memories of Christmas and some of us not so great. Um, when I... Uh, got older, got a little bit older anyway, I found out that my mother, who had five of us in four years, and she was left to raise the, her, the, her five children, and she was a waitress. And um, she would take a loan out on November and uh, take a loan from the bank, I think it was two or $300, I'm not sure what it was, at that time. And then uh, she would buy Christmas gifts for all of us kids. Um, and uh, then she would take her all year long to pay that off. And then she would take out another loan each year. And I think I was about 13 years old when I first understood what she was doing. And it kind of took away the idea of Christmas and her sacrificing all year just to buy gifts for her kids. And so when I uh, got it as an adult and became a Christian and started a family, I, I wanted to have some, some customs in my home. Um, and so <clears throat> it was always our, our custom that uh, and on uh, Christmas, I would uh, take the Bible and read the, the Christmas story. And then we would have prayer, and then my three sons would begin to open up their gifts. And then I had another custom, and uh, that I would take whatever I spent on the family, and um, whatever it was, and then I would take that and we would try to find some families that were in need and then I would equal the money and 
and buy the same sort of gifts that I got for the boys. And I wasn't good at shopping for girls, but my wife did. And, uh, and then on, on Christmas morning, or no, it was Chris, Christmas Eve, we'd take all those gifts and put them in the trunk of the car, and then we'd go to these homes that I had found out about that were in need, and then uh, I would go to the door and put all the gifts, and then I'd ring the doorbell, or if they didn't have one, I would knock on the door, and then I would run, and sometimes it was snowy and icy, I would fall, and the boys would laugh and laugh at me trying to get to the car, and, and then when they opened up the door, it was a tremendous gift just to see the expression on, uh, on those people's faces. Um, and, and so you carry on customs. And I think they remember that the most. The greatest amount of fun is, is laughing at me, going up there and putting the gifts down and running back. When I was a boy, I, I would tell my, my sons this. When, you know, it's interesting that when you get around people your own age, you start talking about how it used to be, how, how Christmas used to be, or how things were before computers and all of this kind of stuff. And uh, in our home, it was, a, it was a very unusual thing. I've never met another person yet who experienced what we experienced back there in Minnesota. And we lived in a very poor area. And um, it was the, the era when the televisions were coming out. And uh, they had a nine-inch uh, television. And um, not very many people could afford to get a TV then. And so the local furniture store, uh, they set up a program where if you, you were too poor to buy a TV, and so they would put a TV in your home, and they would put a little box in there, and it, you put quarters in. And then you would watch it, and then when the quarter ran out, well, then if you didn't have another quarter, you couldn't see the rest of the program. And on Christmas Eve, for some reason, I don't know why it was to this day, that I wanted to see the Christmas story. I, I didn't live in a Christian home. We never went to church or anything like that. But something was in me that I wanted to see the Christmas story. And year after year, um, you would think I would have made preparations, uh, but um, right in the middle, the time would go off, and nobody had a quarter. And so I never got to see the end of the Christmas story. It was very frustrating. Um, so we all grow up with customs, and uh, sometimes um, we create our own, like I did. I created my own there. Um, but God has given us many gifts. In fact, I almost did it this year. I'll probably do it next year. I wanted to get several little packages, little boxes, and I was going to put in there um, to Gary uh, from Jesus. And then I was going to put uh, to Gary eternal life. My gift of eternal life is given to you, signed Jesus, you know. And I, I thought of even doing that this year, and I would unwrap it and go through the whole thing because I'm alone, uh, you know, I... And I just thought, well, it'd be fun to do something like that. And I, I was thinking about all the gifts that God has given me. 
the gift of eternal life. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that just to know that I have eternal life, that I am safe, I'm secure, and nobody can pluck me out of his hand. And then I thought about the gift of righteousness. And I thought that would be a good one to Gary. I've given you the gift of righteousness. And then I would say, how awesome is that? How awesome is that? I got the gift of righteousness. And then I would think about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I would think here that God gave me a gift of a new heart. A gift of a new human spirit. And then filling me with the Holy Spirit. I thought, how awesome is that? And then, of course, my sins are forgiven. They're forgotten. How great is that? You know, sometimes we sort of get away from the real meaning of Christmas. And it's sort of unfortunate because even now today, whether it's the television, whether it's the advertising out there, it's just we're getting further and further away from the real gift. And now it's sort of focusing on what we get and what we give. I can recall out west I had a, a fairly large church. We had about, I think it was 900 members. And uh, I decided that I was going to put down every need that the church had from from a light bulb, you know, I think the heart, the biggest one was $5,000 it cost, but the little one would cost 97 cents, I think. And I made this Christmas list for the church, and I said, I made a Christmas list for us to give to, give to the Lord. I said, because oftentimes we're so busy in giving with each other, it's time to give to the Lord. And it was a beautiful thing that happened because every single gift was given. Every single gift. Um, it's time that we really look at what Christmas really means to us. Uh, the Review, uh, it's the newspaper we get in uh, Hampshire County in West Virginia. And every year they publish um, it's a, kind of a special edition because they go and they interview children from the second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, and they ask some crazy questions. How does Santa Claus, you know, go, come down the chimney? And several of the little boys and little girls, they put, we don't know because we don't have a chimney. And others said, I think he comes through the front door. Um, but they ask all these questions, and I'll never forget. One was asked, uh, I couldn't believe it that third graders, I think they had about 12 or 13 responses, and most of them said, 12, I mean, just the third grader. They love Christmas because of family. They didn't mention gifts or anything else. They just, they love Christmas because family gets together. And I thought, man, that, that's, that's really something to have a three-year-old or a third grader, I, I guess, to think of 
what is most precious on Christmas is being with family. And then uh, some of them, of course, said grandma's house because of chocolate chip cookies. And they, they have a little, it's really kind of comical. I love going through it and reading each, each section of it. But on Christmas Day, Bethlehem becomes as real as the home of our childhood. The manger, the mother, the babe, the shepherds, the angels, all of these are pictures of the past. Yet on Christmas, it's like a holy light shines within each of us. And we somehow hear, unto you is born this day a savior. It's true, it's not a myth. It's absolutely true. And even if it's only one day out of the year, the whole world hears peace on earth among men of goodwill. Why even men who deny Christ yield for one day to the spirit of giving? It lies, I believe, in the prophetic day not yet realized a day when men shall lay aside their weapons and learn to love one another. Why do men who even deny Christ, what causes them at that time of the year to be charitable? It seems like that one day out of the year kind of rescues us for a day from the problems facing all of us, every one of us. There is no human being so poor, so weak, so hopeless, that God does not come to him in Jesus Christ. Right in the midst of our human needs, there is no man so forsaken, homeless in this world, that God does not seek him. God comes to us and he cares for us. I was thinking over the, the days that I left home at 19. And uh, I was thinking about the Christmases that I had spent alone, whether they were at Camp Pendleton in California. I remember one Christmas when Mount Fujiyama, another was in the jungle. Those Christmases that for, and I wasn't a, I wasn't a born-again Christian by any stretch of the imagination. But it, it seemed like at those times of loneliness is when you think. And you think about what Christmas was, the way you were brought up. Um, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the Bible says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through the poverty might become rich. You know, sometimes I think it's a, a blessing to be poor. I, I think you appreciate things differently as you get older. Um, the gospel message is, you need not go search for God. He's coming to you. 
The reality of Christmas is in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born in Bethlehem, is the one who comes to us. And he comes us, to us in strange and unusual ways. And just when we feel that we're all alone, somehow that thought goes back to Christmas. Yes, the one who comes to us, he comes to us to bear with us everything that weights us down. The God for us is also the God in us who dwells inside of us. In Colossians 1.27, the Bible says this, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, God's blessings may not come wrapped inside of a package. It may come to you in a promise. You are chosen, the Bible says. You are holy, you are blameless. It may come to you in the scripture that tells us that when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you were sealed unto the day of redemption. The Bible says that you're already seated. You have a reserved seat in heaven. You're going you're to occupy it one day. The Bible says that you have it. What a wonderful gift. God has given to us so that we may know that we have eternal life. Maybe it's that, that text in the Bible that says he will never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe that's what keeps you hanging on. Or maybe it's that you're a new creation. God recreated you. You have a new heart, a new human spirit, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It may come to you by a wife or a husband who simply says, honey, no matter what happens, I love you. No matter what. It may come to you from a child. Daddy, mommy, I love you. It may come to you in a Christmas card a phone call, a friend who's saying, I care for you. Christ is saying to you this morning, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you all, all to the end. What a marvelous promise God has given to us this Christmas that he would never leave us nor forsake us. God looks at us and he's so, he is so grateful that we responded to him. In fact, the Bible says that when we responded to him, God the Father said, here's another gift to you, Jesus. Here's another gift to you. We are a gift. We are a gift from the Father to the Son.
we responded and we became a precious and fantastic gift. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for Christmas. We thank you that not only do we celebrate his birth, not only do we look at his death as a gift, but we also look at the other side of the cross. We're thankful, Lord, that you have given to us a Savior, a Redeemer that has redeemed us has seated us into the heavenlies. We praise you and we thank you for this reminder of what Christmas is all about. We praise you and thank you. Bless each and every one of us here. For we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Grace Bible Fellowship in Front Royal, Virginia. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.gracebiblefellowshipchurch.org.